Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And here's a special message from our friends at Ocean State Bird Club. They can't lead their free group walks right now, but they hope you're still getting your outdoor time in by watching birds. Find Ocean State Bird Club online at OceanStateBirdClub.org. Find them on Facebook, and you can tell them what you're seeing as the spring migration continues. Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 781. Well, we're still in partial lockdown, depending on which part of the country we're in. Here in Massachusetts, we're opening slowly, but gatherings are still small and social distancing still prevails. Thank goodness for things like audio postcards. We just happen to have another one of those this morning from our Freya McGregor as she shares a bit of the dawn chorus with us from a Kentucky National Park. Hi everyone, it's Freya here. I'm standing uh, along a little trail in the backcountry of Mammoth Cave National Park on a beautiful spring morning. It's exactly the perfect weather. There's birds everywhere, although I haven't seen a whole lot yet. I think they're still waking up, but so far we've had eyes on two red-eyed vireos, um, two scarlet tanagers and a black and white warbler as well as an eastern phoebe on her nest. Oh, and a wood thrush too, doing the beautiful, beautiful wood thrushy call. I'm not that good at birding by ear, so I can't tell you what all these different sounds are. I'm going to have to keep looking to find them with my eyes. All right, better go. Bye. Bye-bye, Freya. Our own Freya McGregor down there at Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky. And that rather strange sound is that of our mystery bird. It's a preview here of our mystery bird contest, the actual contest, a little later on in the show. Our mystery bird is a medium-sized and chicken-like marsh bird with a compact body, short tail, and a long, slightly down-curved bill. It's gray or reddish with dull stripes on its flanks. Our bird eats mostly crustaceans, but also small fish, insects, seeds, birds, eggs, and slugs. And we may have a bonus question, or not a bonus question, I mean, well, we may have a bonus question, but I meant to say a bonus clue, if uh, necessary, uh, a little bit later on in uh, this morning's show with that mystery bird contest. There. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. We are indescribably thankful for the chance to say thank you to listeners who have joined the ranks of our Talking Birds ambassadors, helping us to get out the word about our show and, by extension, about birds and conservation. Thank you so much to Lisa Malone from Milton, Delaware. She says, my husband and I recently moved from Quincy, Massachusetts to Milton, Delaware, and we're discovering new places to bird here. Our new home is especially close to Prime Hook National Wildlife Refuge. Listening to the show helps us stay connected to New England. We do wish the segment with Mike from the Birdwatcher's General Store could be a tad longer. En route to Fort Hill, we always pop into the store for a visit. 
Thanks for helping us to keep sane while we stay home and stay safe. Thank you, Lisa. And Mike, thanks you too, although he'll now demand more airtime, of course. In fact, I think I see the business line lighting up. That's probably his agent. Thank you to Kaylee Jameson from Raja Ampat, West Papua, Indonesia. She says, I'm from South Africa, but I currently live and work in Raja Ampat, West Papua, situated off the northwest tip of the Bird's Head Peninsula at the Biodiversity Nature Resort. I'm the resort manager, and I've been here for 10 months already. In this time... I've come to understand the importance of this area and why it is one of the last places in the world where you can find so much diversity in one small area. Being a diver, it was only natural for me to be astounded by the healthy marine life. Having lived and worked in Mozambique on a private island and in the Caribbean, St. Lucia, I started to understand the value of a healthy ecosystem and the importance of marine protected areas. After indulging below the surface, I started to look above. Well, thank you, Kaylee, and I think you are our most distant Talking Birds ambassador yet. You are about 9,500 miles from our home base here in Massachusetts, and thank you so much for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. How about it, Talking Birds listeners? Wherever you are, will you join Kaylee and Lisa in our Talking Birds ambassadors family? You can sign up under the Become Involved button at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, one of our favorite guests, bird trip leader David Clapp, will be with us to explain why your home may not be complete without mealworms. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor in an almost live Let's Ask Mike segment about Baltimore Orioles. And up next, a Western equivalent of the Baltimore Oriole is today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Over much of the country in the spring, from the Atlantic coast to eastern Montana, we look for Baltimore and orchard Orioles. Meanwhile, farther west, other oriole species take over, like Scott's oriole and the hooded oriole. And today's featured feathered friend, the one named for English naturalist William Bullock. Bullock's orioles are medium-sized songbirds, a little smaller than an American robin. The male is mostly bright orange with a black back and large white wing patch, a black throat, and a black eyeliner which extends all the way to the black crown. Male Bullock's Orioles are generally slightly larger and heavier than the females, which have a yellowish-orange head and a grayish back. In the Great Plains, the ranges of Bullock's and Baltimore Orioles overlap, and the two species often hybridize. They were lumped together for a time as one species, the Northern Oriole, but genetic research has shown that the two aren't very closely related despite that hybridizing. Bullock's orioles forage for insects on the leaves, branches, and trunks of trees and also eat nectar and fruits, including figs, raspberries, blackberries, and cherries. Both male and female Bullock's orioles sing. The female is the more prolific singer, although the male's song is described as being sweeter similar to that of the Baltimore Oriole, 
but faster and a bit more harsh, like this. The Bullock's Oriole, Icterus bullocki, today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 781. We hope you'll find out more about our show. There really is more. That's at TalkinBirds.com. We're about to be joined by international bird tour leader David Clapp, although our topic takes us closer to home today. David also loves watching birds in his backyard and feeding them with all kinds of foods. One of those foods is a type that some folks would think is just too creepy crawly to bother with. But uh, that's a myth, really, that David is about to explode. He's usually here with us in the studio, by the way, but this time he's here by phone, and it's not because he has a pocket full of mealworms or anything like that. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning, David. Good morning, Ray. How are you today? Doing well, thank you. It certainly is a beautiful day, and you're you're on... It is. You've already mentioned Fort Hill today, and here I am sitting on top of Fort Hill chatting with you, looking at the Atlantic Ocean and the Great Marshes here in front of me. Mm, that and is, I do, I do yeah. have a second opinion on extending that um, Mike O'Connor segment. Yes. Yeah. I've, I'm, uh, well, well, we'll discuss it later. <laughs> <laughs> is it an alternative opinion? Is that what you're... Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a different viewpoint, as they say. <laughs> okay, yes. We'll talk about that uh, right right after the show. Fort Hill, it, Fort Hill is a beautiful place, and Mike and I, we have to be careful not to mention the bird while we're saying this, but Mike and I saw uh, today's mystery bird there at Fort Hill last year. Um, ah. what, yeah. That is, a, ah. that is one gorgeous place overlooking the great that, marsh. Yeah. yeah, That eliminates kiwi and emu. <laughs> Cross them right off the list here. <laughs> That's right. Well, you wanted to talk about mealworms. Yes, I, I, I did. Yes, yeah. you, you recently wrote an article in a, a wonderful New England journal called Bird Observer about mealworms. And uh, tell us what they are for those who may be unfamiliar. Well, mealworms are a little larvae of a, a small beetle, mm-hmm. um, and the beetle takes a while. The, the larvae are most of the beetle's life, mm-hmm. and then the beetles do form, if you let them. They do form. Mm-hmm. They lay eggs, and you get more more larvae, more caterpillar-like things. Um, and it, it will also surprise, you, surprise me that there's a lot of places around the United States that grow commercially grow mealworms hmm. and you can send off and buy you know 5,000 and they send you a little box of them and the UPS guy or the FedEx guy leaves them on your porch with a note that says what are you doing and then runs back and, to the truck and, then runs back. <laughs> and you know and then you then you open up your little package hmm. of 5,000 mealworms and uh, you have to name them all. That's the time oh, part. That's, that's the time-consuming yeah. oh, part. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, they insist. but they're they're really easy to keep. I put them in a oh, it's a small Pyrex kind of pie dish. As long as the sides are straight, they'll never climb out because they don't climb. Hmm. They just sort of w- wriggle around. I give them a handful of chicken feed, or sometimes I'll take cornflakes or something and put it in the blender and grind it up. Hmm. They just eat grain like that. Hmm. So in a in a in sort of a pie plate, you can keep. Four or five thousand, and then every morning, you take a little dish, like a, I say in the article, a cream brulee dish, and you scoop out a few, 
You put them out there. The chickadees, titmice, nuthatches, blue jays, Carolina wrens flock to it, as we say in the bird business. Mm. Uh, and they pick and pick and pick and eat and eat and eat. And then the next day you scoop out another scoopful. And you go like that. Okay. And if you, I keep mine in the garage because our garage gets sort of in the 40s and 50s. It doesn't get real warm and it doesn't get too cold. What about when um, right it gets now, warmer out? What, what about when it gets really warm? Just, well, funny you, you should ask. Yeah. Right now there's a little, I have a plastic container which is about the size that you might put a pair of shoes in to store them or something. You know, hmm. It's like a, like a loaf of bread size. Yeah. And, and I put what remains of the worms. And right now I'm just putting them out to attract birds so I can take pictures of the birds when they come to the feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm keeping just a few. But you've, you've met my lovely wife, Frances, I'm of assuming. Of course, and of course. Of course, of course. And she doesn't mind that I'm keeping these in the refrigerator. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're labeled. You keep them labeled? Uh, I do. I yeah, do. I, okay. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Do not make brownies with these. I think it says right on it. <laughs> well, well, you know, in, insects in general are becoming popular as a kind of a food source, so, you know. And, and mealworms are among those that are being studied the most intensely. Uh, all right. Because they're, they're so easy to grow, so easy to reproduce, and apparently, uh, you know, just simple, protein-rich, hmm. a lot of roughage, mm-hmm. you know. I, I've never eaten one. I will. I will say. Okay. Well, when you do, yeah. well, that'll be our next uh, topic here. Maybe. Well, I've, uh, my plan is actually to sneak a few into uh, Fran's next tuna fish sandwich. Oh, oh, she'll love that. Would, yeah. yeah, she, she will love it. Yeah, I guess she won't she'll be think... on the show again anymore. <laughs> after all, as a matter of fact, <laughs> that, that, that could be. But you're saying that, that the food be. that the bedding that you put them in is also their food, right? Yes. Yeah, wow. they just stay there. If you if you're going to do this all winter, you might buy a five pound bag for about a dollar ninety hmm. of what they call chicken starter, non medicated chicken starter. It's the hmm. kind of thing that when you get little fluffy chicks or ducks, um, if you get little fluffy chicks or ducks and you want to teach them how to eat, you just sprinkle this dust on their back and then they pick it off each other. Hmm. And they learn to feed. That's how rehabilitators grow baby ducks and release them and this kind of thing. Then you do the same with this, only in this case you take the the, the chick starter, put it in, and just drop them all on top of it. And a couple, I rip up a little bit of newspaper and lay it there so they've got some layered stuff to crawl under. Um, and that's it. It's not really much of a home. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty it's simple. Pretty but simple. you also bring uh, yeah. them into your house periodically to give them a little supplemental food. Is that? Yeah, yeah. If I'm if I've got a group, if I order say ten thousand early mm. in the season, and I know they're going to be around for four or five weeks, I will take a potato on occasion, cut it into sort of mm, quarter inch or one inch, one eighth inch slices, and bring them in and lay it lay the potatoes on there so they get some moisture and some food. Um, and leave them inside for just 24 hours or so, and then put them back in the garage. Some people use um, dried mealworms, though, don't they? I mean, is that is that a yeah? They're really yeah. They they're available for and primarily sold as a chicken food in just pure and simple chicken food. Hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, I used dried ones, and the birds ate them. But now that I've been using live mealworms, they don't go near the dried ones. Uh huh. Okay. So so my my suggestion would be not to mix the two. David's article about this is in Bird Observer, and if you're in New England, certainly a great uh, magazine, but all of interest, too, no matter where you are, I think. Uh, birdobserver.org is the uh, website. You can subscribe to that yeah. magazine and see, a, see that article. There's an article on the blog page, Ray, about the 
the mealworms too. I think I've got a mealworm one from about two or three weeks ago uh-huh. on that on on the road with DEC blog page. Uh, that, the, that would be kind of kind of yeah, good on the road with DEC. Yeah. That's the blog. So, David, okay. here we are. Uh, we're doing our show live on the twenty fourth of May. We're getting kind of near the uh, the end, or not the end, but we were we're in the re- declining migration period <laughs> right yeah, about now. That's, yeah, that's a good way to phrase it, Ray. I think uh, from whether it's Pacific Coast or just this side of the mountains across the Midwest or here in the Northeast, uh, sometime around May, well, here in the Northeast, May 16th was the push day. There were a, a billion birds on May 16th. Mm. Um, and we're just beginning to see the, the tail end of this. Uh, we were out this morning for a couple hours. We had zero migrants Fresh migrants, you know, singing warblers, vireos, tanagers, thrushes. We had none of those. But maybe in the Connecticut Valley, maybe in the Hudson River Valley, maybe going up the Mississippi. You know, those grass plains around central Nebraska get lots of sandpipers and shorebirds that come mm. through at this time. So this is this is the time to, for everybody to still get out the next week or so. Get out, walk your neighborhood, walk some open space, and just listen and see what you can find. Yeah, it's, it's tailing off. We're, by the 1st of June... There'll be a couple warbler types left, the morning warbler maybe, and uh, maybe some flycatchers. But once you get into June, you've got nesting birds and resident birds. Mm-hmm. But the good news is that by about July 15, the sandpipers, and some of them have started to already come south. Wow. So we'll get the southward migration beginning in mid-July. Mid-July. Mostly for, yeah, mostly for birds whose nests have failed. Uh-huh. And they just they just give it up. It's not worth the energy to do a second clutch of eggs, so they leave. Mm-hmm. But by first of August, middle of August, we've got real southward migrants. So it just goes on for a while. They want to get back south. You know, they really yeah. don't. I don't want to say they don't like it up here, but <laughs> most of them most of them will spend seven or eight months in the south and only a month or two traveling, and then yeah. a couple months yeah. on nesting. So. Enough, enough is enough. Yeah. David Clapp has had two overlapping careers. I'm reading right from BirdObserver.org. Thirty-five years with Mass Audubon as a sanctuary director, and then as a tour leader, mostly for Smithsonian Institution's travel program. He currently works with the famous Tanzanian guide Joseph Nunguru to operate a small group safari company operating mostly in Tanzania. That would be Nasera Safaris. David, thank you so much uh, for being with us, and uh, I'm glad you have no mealworms in your pocket, and I look forward to having you (laughs) back in the studio soon. Thank you, Ray. I I look forward to time together as well. Take care. David Clapp here on Talking Birds, and it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Hello, I'm Ed Begley, Jr., And wherever you call home, the sounds of wildlife connect you with a greater family of life. That's why you shudder each time you see woods, marshes, meadows, or grasslands being destroyed. You know that countless birds and other wild animals are losing their homes, the greatest threat to their survival. Among the growing number of threats to wildlife, habitat loss is the most devastating. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust offers a humane solution working with private landowners to protect habitat as permanent safe havens for wildlife. When you hear the familiar wild voices you love, remember, your voice is the one that can speak for wildlife and for the land they call home, ensuring that it stays forever wild. To learn more, to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, visit wildlifelandtrust.org. 
Our Mystery Bird Contest is presented by Birdwatcher's Digest. Birdwatcher's Digest is much more than a magazine. Explore their publications, events, online birding store, and birding tours at birdwatchersdigest.com. We'd like to think it's a good thing that you can listen to Talking Birds anytime you like, in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the night, whenever. Our TalkingBirds.com website shows how to do that and also how you can listen live wherever you are. Details await at TalkingBirds.com. It's our mystery bird. A medium-sized chicken-like marsh bird with a compact body, short tail, and a long, slightly down-curved bill. It's gray or reddish with dull stripes on its flanks. Our bird eats mostly crustaceans, but also small fish, insects, seeds, bird eggs, and slugs. And here's that. We, we will give this bonus clue here. Why not? Remember the TV commercial that showed how you could turn your lights on and off just by putting your hands together? Think of that ad and you'll have another clue as to the identity of our bird. We even have another bonus clue, but we'll see if we uh, need that. Beautiful prizes include the Droll Yankees Window Mount Songbird Feeder. This is maybe the most popular of all their feeders. Gives a clear view of the birds right at your window. It holds two cups of seed, fruit, or mealworms. Bonus prize, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. That is the LarkWire app. And you can get that as a download for your iOS device or for online access. Beautiful prizes. And don't forget, if you don't get the correct answer, you may still be a winner. We'll do a drawing in that case. But uh, let us know what you think that bird is or tell us. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. Coming up next, Almost Live. With Mike O'Connor, let's ask Mike in just one minute. Here at Talking Birds, we're for the birds, and we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. My name is Elise Torello, and I'm calling from Wakefield, Rhode Island. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I have some hiking friends that I like to try to identify bird songs with, and I learned so much from the show that I wanted to share that with them. We have a a local grocery store that has inside their kind of entryway, they have all their bird stuff, so bird feeders, and I asked if I could put a stack of cards there, and those stacks keep dwindling, and so I just kind of keep adding to them, and so that takes no work whatsoever, and you're spreading the word. Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. Join today and thanks. Michael Connor is down there at the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, and he's about to join us here on the Talkin' Birds radio program to talk about a bird that has a baseball team named for it, and I don't mean the Toronto Blue Jays. Good morning, Mike. Are you there, Mike? Oh, oh. there it is. There it is. I'm, you pressed the right button. I'm, yeah. So Baltimore Orioles. I do. They're just yeah. are on the feeder as we speak. And this is hmm. uh, May's the prime time for the Orioles, like the hummingbirds, returning from the tropics, usually Central America, and they've flown all the way up. And they're fairly easy to attract in, to our yards this time of year, mm-hmm. being May. Um, I think back in the old days, back in the 70s, when I first started feeding birds, people would put 
orange halves out, and that still works. Yep. The Orioles love to eat fruit, and they would come to oranges. But then they noticed that the birds would try to drink out of the hummingbird feeders. So they, some companies made feeders that were a little bit larger for the Orioles to drink. Uh, sugar water out of. Mm-hmm. And those took over the next mm-hmm. wave of Oriole attraction. And then and there was the, jelly, right? Right. Then, <laughs> then, right. Now, lately, the last dozen years or so, people put out grape jelly in these little, just a little cup with a perch. Sometimes they had a cover on it to keep the rain out. And the Orioles came for that. So they'll come for all three. Either orange cut in half mm-hmm. or sugar water or, or the jelly. And, and they're all acceptable and the birds like them a lot. But the important thing is is to do it now. Do it in May because mm-hmm. when the calendar flips over to June, the the birds kind of forget what our yard so much mm-hmm. and they start building their nests and they start feeding their babies insects and they're less interested in that. So right now I get a lot of people saying, I tried all this stuff, it didn't work. And then I, you know, a few more questions and they'll say, well, I, you know, I tried it in the summer. Now is the time to do that, and and eventually the birds will um, disappear a little bit from the feeders. But then they'll come back when the babies hatch. Mm. So I wouldn't give up. It just mm. if you're gonna if you're going to try this, do it now. The other thing you can do because they're building the nets right now is take short pieces of string or yarn, maybe six eight inches, and just hang them on on your clothesline if you still have such a thing, or maybe some bushes, and the females will pluck them off and build a nest with them. But what you don't want, what you kind of want to prevent, and I run into this a lot around here, people have boats and they put blue tarps over their boats or maybe a wood pile. Mm. And then the birds will, as the tarps get older, they'll stop pulling the little strands out of these plastic tarps and they'll build a nest with that. And we all think it's kind of cute and we think it's a good idea, but it's not a good idea, it turns out, because the, the plastic doesn't hold like the string of the yarn or the natural fibers that the birds get. And so that the birds build the nest and then they end up falling apart. So if you see the birds doing that, stop that. But do it in May because this is the time. Put out your oranges and jelly and some string and uh, you'll get those lovely Orioles. All right. And if you can't do the clothes on, you can't put that on your clothes dryer, right? That doesn't, doesn't work. Right? <laughs> well, the birds get dizzy trying they to get, get it. Oh, going around and around. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Mike, thank you. We'll talk to you again next week. Great, man. Mike O'Connor down there at the legendary Bird Watchers General Store. We'll be back to the Mystery Bird Contest right after this. For over a quarter century, Bird Watching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. And we are back to the Mystery Bird Contest. And that would be our mystery bird, a medium-sized and chicken-like marsh bird. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. And we have CA and CA. That would be Caroline in California. Good morning, Caroline. Well, good morning, Ray. Good morning. Would you like to say where in California? Or? Uh, yeah, Eastern California, Eastern e- Sierra. Eastern Sierra. All right. Yeah. Well, okay. Orange well, Valley. Uh-huh. You've heard our mystery bird clues and uh, yeah. and that lovely yeah. uh, melodic sound of the mystery bird. What, what do you think it is? Uh, I, guess, I guess I'm going to have to go with the clapper rail. You're going to go with the clapper rail? Yeah, that was a good choice. In case you were thinking of something else instead. Yeah. <laughs> clapper rail. Well, that's partly in honor of David Clapp, who was on the show with us uh, earlier. Right. And the fact that right. Yeah, and, and Mike O'Connor, too, because we got to see one with Mike uh, last year down on Cape Cod. 
But, uh, yeah, Clapper Rail is exactly right. And, Caroline, thank you so much. If you will stay on the line, uh, we'll, we'll uh, hand you back to Jesse, and we'll arrange to send you those oh, nice prizes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caroline. The Clapper Rail breeds along the Atlantic coast from Massachusetts southward to Florida. This bird is everywhere, around the Gulf Coast of Mexico, along the Pacific coast from central California, southward to southern Mexico, and up the Colorado River, as well as in the Caribbean, Mexico, Central America, and both coasts of South America. Almost forgot we heard a clapper rail last week at a beautiful place, the Great Meadows National Wildlife Refuge, west of Boston. That bird is hard to see, and we did not, but we uh, definitely did hear it. And we have run out of time for our show today. Please join us next week. Have a wonderful and safe Memorial Day weekend as we salute all of those who sacrificed their lives for all of us. And don't forget, keep that turkey vulture six-foot distance between you and the next birder. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, our special assistant, Audrey Stack, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talkin' Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And here's a special message from our friends at Ocean State Bird Club. They can't lead their free group walks right now, but they hope you're still getting your outdoor time in by watching birds. Find Ocean State Bird Club online at oceanstatebirdclub.org. Find them on Facebook. And you can tell them what you're seeing as the spring migration continues. Ocean State Bird Club.